Let's remain standing for the reading of God's holy word. Today's text comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And the word of the Lord says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. Um, we, uh, we are beginning a, a walk through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Jane uh, uh, got us some Ecclesiastes scripture journals like we've used before. And they're back in the back window back here. And, and Ricky and, and Don, or Ricky and Denise, if y'all want to grab some of those, and they're a gift from our church to you. And if you'd like one, just raise your hand and, and uh, some of our folks will, will be glad to bring you one of those. And we hope you can make good use of them for your study. It's actually a really, uh, a really beautiful little book. Uh, and uh, we hope you can use it to take notes and to, um, to heighten your experience of the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to set the stage for today's text. King Solomon is the third king of the kingdom of Israel. In 982 uh, B.C., The kingdom divided, and you had Israel in the north and Judea in the south. But before Solomon, you had two other men who were kings over the undivided nation of Israel. First, there was Saul. The nation of Israel told the prophet Samuel that they wanted a king, just like all the other nations. And so God gave them Saul, the tallest, most handsome man in all of Israel. He was a great Uh, face for the brand and he completely blew it and instead of leading the nation to greatness he wound up committing suicide on the battlefield but before Saul even died though God had chosen the second king of Israel David and David took Israel to new heights both materially and militarily and on top of that David was a man after God's own heart and then after David Solomon, King David's son, took the crown. And Israel was already the wealthiest nation in the world uh, 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 under David. And Solomon took it to a whole different level. Uh, In 1 Kings 3, God appears to Solomon in a dream. 
And God favors Solomon so highly, he offers him whatever blessing he desires. And Solomon asks for wisdom to lead his nation well, instead of wealth and fame. And so God rewards his choice by not only giving him wisdom, but by giving him wealth and fame as well. He was quite possibly the richest man who ever lived. He had a fleet of ships that brought gold from foreign countries literally every day to his ports. Then he married a foreign woman, which was forbidden by God, not because of her ethnicity, but because God knew Solomon would be tempted to stray away spiritually. And it was a mistake that Solomon made time and time again. Marrying women from different nations to build relationships with their kings. Scripture records that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can't handle the one wife I have. And Solomon has, I'm saying that because she's not here this morning. Solomon had 700 of them. And God was right. Solomon's heart was divided. And he began to worship other gods. Now Solomon is the author of three of what we call the wisdom books of the Bible. Two are the book of Job and the book of Psalms. And then we have the one Solomon wrote, the Song of Solomon, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon led a life of uh, incredible experience and even excess. And as he wrote Ecclesiastes, he's probably nearing the end of his life. And as he's approaching death, uh, he's thinking on the meaning of all that he's done and whether he's made a lasting impact and what he could have done or should have done differently. And as he's nearing the end, he's thinking more and more about the end and that moment that he'll stand face to face with God and give an accounting for his life. So what he's challenging us to do is to think backward. Instead of focusing on today and what we can experience and what we can earn and what we can build and what pictures we can post on social media, he's saying, don't just think in the now, because now will be gone soon. Focus on forever. That's what really matters. Remember God in everything you do. Enjoy life. And enjoy God. I'm going to repeat that because I want you to get that. This is sort of the overarching theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? Don't just think in the now. Because the now will be gone soon. Focus on forever. That's what really matters. Remember God in everything you do. Enjoy life and enjoy God. So as we work our way through this book, you're going to hear some little phrases time and time again that jump out at you. And even some phrases that we use in everyday language that you may not even have known were here in the Bible. Uh, We read one just a few minutes ago. There's nothing new under the sun. We've probably all said that at some point in our lives or heard that said. And it comes straight out of the Bible, straight out of Ecclesiastes. But there are a few words and phrases that we see repeated a lot in this book that add a lot of weight to the idea that Solomon is trying to communicate here. 
One is he uses the word vanity a lot. And in fact, he uses this word 38 times in this short book, five times in today's text alone. There are a lot of, there are a lot of commentaries that translate this word as meaningless, but that's a little inaccurate. The, the Hebrew word for vanity actually means a breath or a breeze. So when Solomon writes that all is vanity, he doesn't mean that life doesn't have any meaning. What he's saying is, is that life is like a puff of wind or, or a bit of smoke. Psalm 39 verses 5 and 6 uses the same language. It says, Behold, you have made my days as a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. And Psalm 144.4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Solomon isn't saying, when he uses this word vanity, he isn't saying that your life doesn't have meaning. He's saying that life is short. And the second phrase you'll see in Ecclesiastes several times is the phrase, under the sun. That's in here 29 different times. And when Solomon is using these words, under the sun, he's talking about the time we have here on earth. Our walking, talking, going to work, going to the lake, going to funerals, going to kids' ball games, going to church, going to eat Mexican food lives. The things that you do in this life before you pass away. And then the third phrase we hear a lot in this book is, I said in my heart. I didn't even count how many times this is in there, but it's a lot. Solomon says this when he, when he explains that he has experienced or tried something that he thought would satisfy him or make him feel complete or give his life some lasting meaning. But once the moment is over, the light bulb goes off in his head and he realizes the moment was like a breeze, like a breath. It was there and then it was gone. He tries everything to find meaning in life. Women, wine, money, power, knowledge, and any type of experience that he could reach. But all of it was just a breath. And his end conclusion is this. He says in the last chapter, in chapter 12, he says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait until you're old and about to die. And you've wasted most of your life to think about God. And in the last verses of chapter 12, he wrote this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So when Solomon says, I said in my heart, it's sort of a transitionary phrase where he's talking about something he's experienced or something he's done, but then he realizes life is short. And so he follows that with, I said in my heart, and then he begins to focus on God, okay, and what matters eternally. So we're going to unpack this text, uh, and before we do, let's take a minute and clear our minds, and let's pray. 
God, I pray that as we work our way through your word, that your spirit would help us to remember that we're created for no other reason except to glorify you. You gave us life and you did it so that we could do all the good we can in the short time you've given us. So that we could lift you up all we can in the short time you've given us. Help us to live less for ourselves and more for you. Help us to desire the things of this world less and to understand that you are the source of eternal pleasure. Help us to see that chasing after the pleasure in this world is chasing after the wind. But eternal happiness comes from knowing Jesus. Help us to see that time is a wisp of smoke and true happiness comes from knowing the forever unbreakable love that is available in Christ. Change our hearts and reorder our lives. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Why am I here? That is the ultimate question of life. What is your purpose? It's a challenging thing to consider when you look at the repetitive nature of our lives. Uh, I get up at the same time every day. I yell the same things at my kids every morning. I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. I go to the same job every day. I come home to the same family and have the same discussion about what we're going to have for dinner every day. And it can seem boring or tedious when you look at it on the surface. We want our lives to have deeper meaning and satisfaction. And that's why people have midlife crises, right? They buy fast cars and trucks and jack them up and they cheat on their spouses and they change jobs and they they start working out uh, because they want off this treadmill. They want off this repetitive pattern. They want some interruption to the same old patterns. They want some drama and some excitement, some feeling that won't fade. There's an old song that said, life is a highway. But when you look at it in the context of Ecclesiastes, uh, life is really more like a roundabout. Okay. And you can't get off. You just ride round and round on the roundabout. When Solomon, what Solomon's going to do with this book is he's going to teach us about life, what's wrong with life, what's the nature of life, and as he looks back on his life, what he wishes he had done differently. So here's three truths about life that Solomon teaches us in today's text. Here's the first one. Life is temporary. Life is temporary. He says in verse 2, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. If you think of Solomon in modern terms, he's like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Brad Pitt and Tom Brady, all rolled into one. He's rich, he's powerful, he's popular, he's a genius, and the world is at his fingertips. You would expect Solomon to write a book of advice like this, and it would start with something like, here's the ten habits of a successful king. That would be a bestseller if he wrote that today. But he doesn't start that way. He starts by saying, vanity of vanities, 
Everything is vanity. Everything is temporary. Nothing lasts forever. Solomon starts right off pulling our chains. Life is short and then you die. He doesn't say life is meaningless. He doesn't say life is without purpose. But you're going to live for 70 or 80 or 90 or maybe even 100 years. And then we're all going to die. It's going to happen. And your kids and grandkids will go through your stuff and they'll give the things you really liked to Goodwill. And they'll spend your money and they'll talk about you at holidays. And, uh, but you'll be gone. We're, we're all going to go through that. We're all going to go through that. Listen, my sister, she's put masking tape on the backs of all the stuff she wants in my house. I don't think my wife's going to get anything. That's Solomon's theme here. Life is temporary. Then he points out a second truth about life. It's life is repetitive. He says this in verses 3 through 7. He says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. In chapter 1, verse 3, Solomon asks, What does man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? What advantage does a man gain in all his work while he's living? And the answer that he gives us is there's no advantage. You can wash the dishes and scrub the toilets and vacuum and haul the kids everywhere and be faithful at work and buy the groceries and ride that roundabout over and over. There's no eternal gain from our efforts. Life is a repetitive cycle. And Solomon goes on and proves this by using examples from nature. First, he talks about the earth. He's proving life is repetitive with examples from nature. He talks about the earth. He says in verse 4, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. We're born, we live, we die, and the earth goes on. The proof is in the newspaper. Birth announcements on one page, obituaries on the next. It happens. And then he talks about the sun. In verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. Sun rises, sun sets, it starts all over again. The Hebrew word of ha- for hastens means pants. He's saying the sun is like a runner running around on an endless track. Generations come and go. So does the day and night. And then to prove that life is repetitive, he also talks about the wind. He says the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. The sun moves on an east to west course. And Solomon's describing the wind as moving on a north to south path. Round and around in every direction, never stopping. And then finally, to prove life is repetitive, he talks about rivers. In verse 7, all the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. Rivers flow into the ocean 24-7, and they have for ages and ages. But the oceans are never full. 
Because there's a cycle of evaporation and rainfall and rivers flowing into the sea. And the process starts over, over and over again. It's forever moving. But it seems like it never accomplishes anything. Everything's always working. It's always moving. But it doesn't seem to go anywhere. So there's two truths that Solomon has given us. One, life is temporary. Two, life is repetitive. And then the third truth he he teaches us in today's text is this. And that is, life can be disappointing. In verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Nothing, Solomon is saying, about this temporary repetitive life can satisfy us. Solomon says there's no satisfaction under the sun. There's that phrase, under the sun. All things are full of weariness. Let me ask you, what's your favorite place to eat? What, Henry? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. All right, anybody else got one? Blind pig for Jane. That running tap. Uh, yes, home. The favorite place to eat at home. My favorite place to eat is Los Reyes. I love Mexican food. I think everybody knows that by now. I think I mention it every week. Uh, and nobody ever buys my lunch here in Mexico. I don't know what's going on. Y'all can't take a hint. Uh, so, so, uh, so, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't go eat Mexican food and say, that was so good. I'm never going to eat again. No, that was so good. I'm completely satisfied. I don't eat anything else. Because what I do is I eat at Los Reyes, and then I ride down the street at La Michicana, and I get a big uh, two scoops of chocolate ice cream, right? But Because I, I love that. But then I don't say, well, now I'm satisfied. I go home. A couple hours later, I'll have another snack. I'll eat another meal. And it never satisfies me. What's your favorite place to, to go on vacation? Henry? Sandy Creek. Sandy Creek. All right. Anybody else got one? Beach. The beach. All right. You ever go to the beach and say, yeah, well, I don't need to go on vacation anymore. I've been to the beach and I'm completely satisfied. I never have to have another vacation. We don't do that. What's your, uh, what's your favorite song? Somebody, somebody confess. What's your favorite song? Yes, Henry. Hotel California. That's a great song, Henry. It's a great song. Who else has got one? Anybody? It is well. It is well. Listen to June. She's looking through the hymnal saying, what can I say here? Uh, she's saying it is well, and, and Ariel's over there next to her thinking, Tootsie Roll. Uh, so so, uh, so uh, we all have a favorite song. My favorite all-time song is Blue Sky by the Allman Brothers. Love that song. Love that song. Uh, But I don't listen to it once and turn it off and say, I don't need to listen to any more music. Because I'm completely satisfied now. I don't need to hear anything else. My life is complete. No, I'll listen to the entire Greatest Hits album. And then I'll come around and listen to Blue Sky again. And then I'll listen to Otis Redding for a while. I'll listen to something else. The point I'm getting at is... 
We'll wear ourselves out trying to find something that we can see, hear, taste, or feel that will give us lasting satisfaction. Nothing in this life, nothing in this life is truly fulfilling. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. He writes, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. If you've got the latest iPhone, next month they're going to come out with a brand new model that'll have some new app or something you don't have that you have to have. So you'll feel like you have the phone that you finally really want. There are new inventions, but there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that is new to us in this generation or this life that will give us lasting satisfaction. Phones have been around for a long time, y'all. And you may have been like me and my sister, and we grew up in a house with one that was connected to the wall, and it had a long cord, and we could pick it up and listen to people talking on the party line. Phone's just a phone when it gets down to it. Nothing new under the sun. And then Solomon said, there's no remembrance of former things. I love, one of the things I love about this church is it has a rich, rich history. I'm a, a student of history. I love local history. And this church has been an organized church body for uh, 222 years. 222 years. That's amazing. That's amazing. Who can tell me the original name of the church? I bet somebody can tell me. Fork. Fork of the Broad Baptist. Where was it located? Right down close to Watson Mill, going uh, at the Fork Cemetery. Um, all right, let's let's do something a little tougher. Who was the first pastor? Does anybody know? William Davis. William Davis. He was from Orange County, Virginia. He fought in the Revolutionary War. He was present when Cornwallis uh, surrendered to George Washington uh, at York. Um, he was injured in the war. He was a war hero. Uh, he was at a tent revival in Orange County, Virginia, and a man named Elijah Craig was preaching. And Elijah Craig had been arrested several times for preaching in Virginia because the Church of England was the only legal church at that time. But Elijah Craig was a Baptist. And so he was preaching and, and um, William Davis came to know Christ through hearing Elijah Craig's preaching. Elijah Craig is most famous for being the inventor of bourbon. Uh, he didn't do it on purpose. He actually wanted to age his whiskey in some barrels, and he needed some barrels, and he was extremely cheap. So he bought some barrels that had been burned in a barn fire. And that burnt barrel gave a new flavor that came to be known as bourbon. So I've said for a while, I think we should give a bottle of Elijah Craig to anybody who visits our church. But I can't get the deacons to approve that. I think everybody would participate and worship a lot more if we did. But uh, 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 William Davis was also really significant. He helped start Sarepta, uh, which is our current Baptist organization. He started Clouds Creek Baptist. He started... Elberton First Baptists. He started numerous churches 
in this area. Most people don't know who he is. What about this guy back here? A little more recent history. Jacob Eberhardt. His name's on the window, Jacob Eberhardt. Who knows what was significant about him? Does anybody have any idea? Anybody know? Well, he built the house Tim Seymour lives in. I know that. And, uh, uh, but he was also a, a prominent farmer and a state senator and uh, a, re- a really significant figure in the community, very well off. Um, his father's house, his father was also named Jacob Eberhardt, and his father was born in the 1700s, and his house still stands in Madison County. And I'll tell you what, uh, I, I got 20 bucks if anybody can tell me where that house stands. Give me a minute. Ah, no Google, no Google. <laughs> but you ought to know where it is. You know why? Is it close to me? Yes. It's the log cabin in the Colbert City Park. It was, it was reclaimed and preserved and put together back in the city park at Calvert. That's, the Jake, that's his father, the Jacob Everhart cabin. So we, we forget people, don't we? We do. We do. We just do. Even famous people, even the greatest athletes and the most accomplished sports teams, they eventually get forgotten by the general public. When, when I die, there will be a funeral. And there might be 25 people there, and there might be 200 people there. I don't know. And after the funeral, they'll eat lunch, and they'll laugh, and they'll cut up and tell stories, and they'll hurry back to work because somebody was covering for them. And that night, they'll go home to their families, and they'll watch Dancing with the Stars. And by morning, they'll barely think about me anymore. That's life. That's life. Even if you're the president of the United States, that's how life goes. It makes you feel a little empty, doesn't it? If it does, then Solomon has accomplished exactly what he intended to accomplish with these 11 verses. He wanted people who read his book to feel a sense of emptiness because emptiness leaves space for potential. We went to a wedding last week and there was an empty dance floor and then music began to play and the empty floor became an invitation for people to come and experience happiness. An empty cup isn't just an empty cup. It's an empty cup that has space to be filled with something cool and refreshing and satisfying. And that's what Solomon is doing here. He's emptying our cups, okay? He's emptying them of thoughts of all the useless stuff to make room for something that's truly satisfying. Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember your Creator. In the days of your youth. When it's all been said and done. Fear God. And keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Jesus said. 
in John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Solomon asked a question in Ecclesiastes 1.3. What does a man gain by all the toil that he toils under the sun? And he answers and says it's vanity. Life slips through our fingers like smoke. And Jesus echoes this and says you have to hate your life in order to gain eternal life. You have to understand that this life is short. He's not, when he says to hate our lives, he doesn't mean that we should have bad self esteem and walk around singing all day. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Oh, woe is me. Nobody appreciates all I do. My work is so hard. My spouse is so bad. I'm going to die and everybody's going to forget about me. I'm stuck on the roundabout of life and I just can't get off. What he's saying is stop acting like your routine and your work and your choices and your importance is so important. Stop putting your own opinions and your own agenda and your own goals first. Make me your agenda. Make Jesus your goal. Stop being your own king. Make Jesus your king. You know, I I hear all the time people tell me how blessed they are because they're making money or because they have nice cars or because their health is good. But the fact is, sometimes those things aren't blessings at all. Sometimes they're curses because you'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough financial security to satisfy you. You'll never obtain enough material possessions to bring you lasting joy. You'll never experience enough physical pleasure to make you whole. You can chase and chase and chase after a high or a million bucks Or you can exercise three times every day and have plastic surgery in pursuit of physical beauty or achievement in sports. But all those things, Solomon says, are vanity. They're just a breath, a breeze. We have a tendency to make the gifts God gives us our focus and we lose sight of the giver. And all those things that we can obtain or achieve are secondary things. You're not blessed because you get good gifts from God. You're blessed when you have God Himself. God's promise to us isn't a life where we strive and chase and work harder and harder so we can chase after what C.S. Lewis called lovers less wild. The promise is in Christ is not to be more handsome or more rich or more wise. The promise in Christ is eternal life, a never-ending satisfaction, and a joy that doesn't fade no matter what your circumstances in life are. 
Paul said in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him. Uh, uh, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 8 of Philippians. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is a man who knows what it is to be rich. He knows what it is to be poor. He has been at the top of the social and economic and religious mountain. mountain, And he is begging us, imploring us to recognize the inherent value of knowing Christ. Remembering God in your youth. Fearing God. Having a healthy respect for God and treating him like the treasure he is and keeping his commandments. The greatest gift we can ever receive is the giver himself. And that's what God offers you. A chance to live a new way following and serving Jesus above all things. You can pretend all you want that if you make X amount of money, you'll be a success in life. You'll pretend, you can pretend all you want that if your kids excel in sports or academics, then you'll have left a legacy that won't be forgotten. You can dream that if you change jobs or you change spouses or get a spouse or get rid of a spouse, you'll be content. You can imagine that if you can just get through this week's laundry or this week's shopping or this week's running the kids here and there, this week's busy schedule, then next week will be peaceful and quiet and life will be that way forever. What Solomon is going to teach us as we unpack this book is that none of those things will bring us the riches, the legacy, the commitment, or the satisfaction available through a relationship with Christ. Jesus is crying out to us all, lose the old way of life and follow me. If you earn the best reputation in business, it doesn't matter. If you have a lot of things, it doesn't matter. If you are famous, it doesn't matter. Forget how you used to live. Remember to live for God. Enjoy life, but enjoy Jesus more. If you remember God, if you fear God and obey His commands... If you forget your own agenda and your own plans and follow Jesus, then and only then will you get that eternal, lasting satisfaction that you long for. Life 
is difficult. It can wear you out. It can be repetitive and monotonous and just plain hard sometimes. But when you're weary from the wearisome nature of life, Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Kevin Creel wrote, when we can't find satisfaction under the sun, you can find satisfaction in the Son of God. When we can't find anything new, we remember that Christ has created a new covenant, given us a new birth and a new life. When we feel like no one will ever remember us, we can take confidence in the truth that God remembers us. And one day we can overcome this world and receive a new name that Christ Himself will give us. In the meantime, he wrote, the best way to live under the sun is to live in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Daniel and Sherry to come and I'm going to change up on you guys just a little. Let's stand to our feet. And uh, I want to, if y'all don't mind, let's, let's do Blessed Assurance one more time to close us out. Page 334. Let's sing all three verses. Sing with your hearts. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. Savior, I'm happy and blessed. 
This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let's receive the benediction. Today's benediction is an old one. It comes from the 5th century from St. Patrick. May the strength of God pilot us. May the power of God preserve us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the shield of God defend us. May the angels of God guard us against the snares of evil and the temptations of the world. May Christ be with us, Christ before us, Christ in us, Christ over us. May your salvation, O Lord, be always ours this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Y'all have a fantastic Sunday.